Welcome to Conversations, a podcast by Christ Presbyterian Church of Auburn, where we get a chance to sit down and have a conversation with Pastor Zellner and learn how God's Word applies to our lives. Welcome to Conversations. We're so glad you're here listening with us, and we hope all of you guys are having a great Thanksgiving break. I'm sitting here with my pastor, Eric Zellner. How are you, my man? I'm good. How are you, Will? Fantastic. Good. Uh, we're, we just finished the five solos of the Protestant Reformation, and now we're about to start another five-part series. I'm sure you guys are clapping in your cars right now <laughs> in, in anticipation. We're talking about the doctrines of grace. So I'll pass it on to you to maybe explain why they're called the doctrines of grace, what they are, and why are they significant or important for us to know? Sure. Yeah, the doctrines of grace are, that it's really what we mean when we're saying that there's a chasm between God and man, and this is the biblical teaching on how God brings salvation to sinners like us. And so they're called the doctrines of grace because each portion of what we'll discuss is essential for our understanding of how God's grace works in our lives. And so uh, a lot of times people refer to these as the five points of Calvinism. Uh, John Calvin wouldn't have known uh, to call them that. He wouldn't have even known the acronym uh, TULIP as we think of it. Uh, But this particular doctrine is that we're going to start with the the doctrine of total depravity. Um, And that, what we're talking about here when we we say this is often a a helpful explanation of what we mean when, when we say that a church is reformed. So in the PCA, we say we're, we're one of many Reformed churches, or we come from that line. When I was uh, not Reformed, I used to be annoyed by that phrase because it always indicated to me that, well, they must think they have something that the rest of us don't have. Um, and that was really just a, a wrong understanding of this. What Reformed means is we're, we're taking those doctrines which were rediscovered, uh, reclaimed in the Protestant Reformation— uh, that are rooted all the way back in the, in the scriptures themselves that had been lost for a thousand years or so. And so in saying that we're Reformed, it is saying that we're picking up those, those central teachings of the Protestant Reformation. So uh, we can start with total depravity. Let's start with total depravity. Okay. And I think if you guys want some more information on this, you can check our episode on uh, Grace Alone on Sola Gratia, where we hash through a lot of these things, because... Total depravity essentially is the doctrine, and um, Pastor Eric will go through a lot more detail into this, but the doctrine that essentially every human being is born into sin and is incapable of choosing God. They are totally deprived. They are not capable of choosing God or doing any spiritual good. And so the first passage that comes to mind for me when I'm thinking about total depravity is Romans chapter 3. You see Paul saying that Jews and Greeks are all under sin, And he bases that argument by quoting from Psalm 14, where he says, uh, Romans 3, starting verse 10, None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave, they use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asp is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. 
and their paths are ruin and misery. In the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And I remember when I first started studying these things, it was such a, a surprise to me that people from the Reformed tradition say the reason why people um, don't choose God and God chooses them is because they actually can't choose God. And it mm. changes the way you think about humanity and man's ability. So I pass it back yeah. to you and want to hear your thoughts on that. No, I think that's exactly right. The the Romans 3 is the quintessential place where you where you think of this particular doctrine. Romans 3.23, uh, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Uh, a passage that's not often thought of or mentioned is a passage in Genesis chapter 8, verse 21. It's when right after the flood account, God makes this this covenant with Noah. And, and the Bible says in Genesis 8, 21, that God's promise is this, I'll never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Uh, meaning that God had to, in the very early places of the Bible, had to recognize and and contend with the fact that if he was to bring judgment, he would constantly be bringing judgment because our wickedness is so severe from the very beginning. The Bible teaches uh, that, and what it's saying then is that we're not spiritually sick. It means uh, that we're not just kind of laying on a bed, and if we can take a pill, uh, we will be made alive. Sometimes people think of this by way of evangelism. Uh, well, the person is spiritually sick. We give them the gospel. They embrace the gospel. The Bible is actually saying that spiritually they're dead. Uh, so, so therefore, a dead person doesn't take that pill of the gospel, absorb it, and then suddenly come to life. They, they, they can't. They're not able to. One of my uh, favorite places that we've come across this recently was in our study in, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, it tells us that these things are spiritually discerned. And so when someone doesn't discern the spiritual things of God, it's not because they won't, it's because they can't. Um, and so they cannot understand the things of God. Uh, so what we're saying here is we're describing the chasm that exists between a holy God and sinful men. And there is no way to bridge this chasm by human effort. And so that's that's really the heart of where this where this begins. And so when we talk about um, this doctrine, we're not saying that people aren't capable of necessarily doing any morally good in terms of the world standards, but not capable of doing any spiritual good in God's eyes. Can you hash through some of that? Because I think yeah. some people will be listening to this saying, "Are you telling me Gandhi isn't a good guy, right. and yeah. Uh, yeah. you know the old lady down the street is not able of doing anything good? She's just wicked, horrible, twenty four seven." Sure. Well, I think the you know the thing that we're confusing there is when we're thinking through this doctrine. Um, we confuse the idea of of life with activity, right? And and so here's what I mean: when we say that someone is uh, the word, you know, the phrase "totally depraved," it sounds horrendous, total depravity. <laughs> uh, it sounds like, oh my goodness, we're talking about an axe murderer. Um, <laughs> and that's not precisely what we're talking about. What we're saying is that the person, every portion of our being, when we say total. It just means every portion of our being has been corrupted by sin. So that means my mind has been corrupted by sin, my heart has been corrupted by sin, my will has been corrupted by sin. So we're not saying that somebody can't uh, do moral things or even live a pretty morally responsible life. So the old lady down the street who is sweet to everybody or Gandhi who seems to do some nice things, um, all of that doesn't mean 
that those can't be well that's commendable right mm-hmm. um, but having activity is not the same as having spiritual life right so the Bible teaches us that we are spiritually dead and the devastating effects of our spiritual death is basically that we cannot and do not have the capacity to care about the things of God and to truly understand the God of the Bible and the Christ that's being offered on our own. So we may do many good things, uh, but and we might you know be morally um, what you and I would gauge as decent humans, right? Mm-hmm. I don't uh, I don't cheat on my wife. I give my children Christmas presents, those kinds of things. Um, but as far as loving God, as far as living out and embracing the gospel, it's physically not, it's, it's spiritually impossible right. because of our condition of death. So where, the, where my illustration breaks down of the dead person is that we, you know, that person is totally inactive. So therefore we presume that's what I'm talking about when we say that, you know, that we're spiritually dead. Uh, what, we, what this doctrine explains is that the spiritual part of that person right. is totally dead. So, um, you know, just like the uh, <laughs> the person who comes into the office and does lots of emails and, and spends time around the office and uh, never gets anything done, um, you go, well, they're active, but they're just not getting anything done, right? That's actually what's happening. Are you here. trying to tell me something? No. <laughs> <laughs> I spend a lot of time at the coffee, coffee pot. No, no, no. That's not at all. You know, what? I, but what I'm saying is we just naturally presume activity equals life. Right. Uh, but we know inherently activity doesn't equal life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so when the Bible tells us that, uh, you know, John, I mean, uh, I'm thinking of John uh, 3 where Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, and he says you've got to be born again in order to have or know or understand the things of God. Mm-hmm. Born again. And you're born again because there is something in you that's spiritually dead. Right. It's got to be brought to life. That's what uh, the Bible is teaching us. Well, I think it goes back to also just having a robust understanding of original sin. Mm-hmm. And we realize that at, since Adam is the fountainhead of the human race and mm-hmm. he falls into sin, then all of us have inherited his fallen nature. And so our hearts are just bent towards doing spiritual evil mm-hmm. um, before we're in Christ. Well, and I think all the time, almost every time I've ever encountered somebody who disagrees with this, and I think, I mean, tr- truthfully, if you ask me when I was 17 years old in my English class, we discussed this as we're reading the Puritans, uh, I would have voted for, no, man is basically good. That's what I would have said. Uh, but it's entirely because I didn't know what we were saying. I didn't know precisely what this meant. Mm-hmm. And there's lots of people who who are filling the churches um, of Christ that would say, no, 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 I think we're, I think we're basically good people. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is literally saying this aspect of your being, meaning your spiritual being, is dead. Uh, and, and our tendency when we talk about original sin and Adam is to look at a baby who giggles and coos uh, and is sweet and cute and smells great after a bath. It smells horrible during a, a diaper change. But but we confuse all those things with, that's precious, right? But what the Bible tells us from Adam is that when Adam chose to rebel against God, 
than the rest of mankind by ordinary generation, meaning just by virtue of being from the bloodline of Adam, we are all bent towards sin. So the, the very heart of who we are is not to choose to reach out to God. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's the central part of it. So, that, so when there's confusion, it's almost always because they're expecting that we're talking. They think we're comparing us our, to the worst of the worst in society, or we're looking at this baby going, I don't see any anything defiant here this is cute right well and also i don't have any children but (laughs) i do think that people that do have kids can see this because you really you have to teach a child Mm -hmm. how to share you know you don't have to teach a child to be selfish Mm -hmm. you don't have to teach a child to complain it's just inherent to their their nature Um, Uh, no that's exactly right i mean that that's a visible picture of the fact i mean you do have to teach a child to share you do have to teach a a child to think of another person you do have to teach a child to obey the voice of mom and dad. Mm-hmm. Um, if they were born free of sin, it would be their natural inclination to hand their favorite toy off to somebody else, to share their favorite food with somebody else, to listen intently to mom and dad and do exactly what mom and dad say. Absolutely. Um, so, I think it, I've heard it said too, it's like Adam's sin was like a drop of poison in a water cup. So we mm-hmm. see its impact throughout the generations, which I think is a great way mm-hmm. to picture it. So that's right. we've been talking a lot about total depravity, um, kind of working through it. What are some of the applications that we see this? Like what, what relevance does this, does this have? Like we know, we've heard you guys say everyone's sinners. Mm-hmm. So what, what should this do to my life? Mm-hmm. Well, it actually, it, it, it begins by uh, removing my sense of pride as a believer. I begin with the notion that if I am if I am found to be one who is in Christ, it's not because I was good enough to make a good decision. Um, and suddenly, that's incredibly humbling, right? I didn't I didn't have something that someone else was unable to have or get. I didn't inherently produce something in myself as if I was dealing with options on the table, and I, well, I guess I'll choose Jesus. He seems like the best option. Uh, so what happens first and foremost for the believer is it immediately humbles us. I did not have anything in me that was spiritually alive, and so in order for me to become spiritually alive, the Holy Spirit had to move into my heart to quicken or awaken me. Any person who is found in Christ, any person who's a true believer, is a true believer because God moved first. I did not have the capacity to move towards him. right? So that's huge. That's first. Secondly, I begin to think about what this means for the sake of evangelism. Uh, Somebody will go, well, I mean, that actually seems to mean that uh, there's nothing we could do. Everybody's born in sin. Um, But it's precisely the opposite. I think we should return to this many times throughout this study. It's precisely the opposite. Uh, If God is the one who does the moving by his spirit, I have no clue when and how and where he may move and choose to transform somebody's heart. It is, if it was up to me, I would choose people who I think would have a likelihood to come to faith. Um, Thankfully, that's not the way it works. God moves in the hearts of whomever he desires. So it motivates our desire to evangelize because it's God who must make the first move anyway. And here's why I mean that's, here's why that motivates me. I don't have to come up with the most clever 
profound declaration of the gospel in order to, for someone to come to saving faith. I just have to be faithful to communicate the truth of this love of God, which is offered through Christ. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's the beautiful thing about it is that God's chosen to use us as the means for his salvation and the gospel is the power of God onto salvation. So we just have to toss the seed and we know that God is the one who will provide the harvest. That's right. Um, yeah. I do think the big application um, is, is obviously it just affects the way we see um, our brothers and sisters around us. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it actually motivates evangelism because we know that everyone is under sin. Mm-hmm. Um, if you think everyone kind of gets to God by their own good works and people are good enough then you will. Then you might not want to share Christ with them because you think you know they'll be fine on their own. But if everyone's totally deprived, depraved, depraved. Thank you. <laughs> totally depraved. Yep. Then everyone is held responsible mm-hmm. by God, and so everyone needs to hear the gospel. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also, if we can't choose God, then it's God who must choose us, which is. Um, what you've said and will lead to the next part of the doctrines of grace. So, But doesn't that, you know, even just saying that, I know we need to probably wrap up, but doesn't that in itself uh, cause us as believers to approach others with a greater tenderness, a greater warmth, a greater winsome nature, so, so that we as Christians can't sit back and go, gosh, well, these people are just kind of stupid. Right. It's not a it's not a matter of stupid mm-hmm. and it's not a matter of of dirty and clean. Um, it's a matter of uh, this person made in the image of God is spiritually dead. It is probably um, the right posture then for me to not be fearful of them or weirded out by them, but rather be able to move toward them in a spirit of love and offer to them the same hope of Christ that I have. Absolutely. Um, it just changes the way we look at other people. Well, and it and it humbles us too because we realize we're no different from them ex- mm-hmm. apart from the grace of God. That's exactly right. We we would look at their outward works and go, "Oh, those things are ugly to me." Um, but we would always give um, much more grace and credit to ourselves if we didn't have this doctrine. Uh, when you have this doctrine, you go, "That's precisely who I am." Mm. Uh, and my rebellion is active. So one other thing I think that's worth mentioning here uh, is that when we talk about this, it is not simply that uh, man is born spiritually dead and and unable to uh, move himself towards God. Uh, This doctrine teaches, and there's tons of scriptures that prove this, that mankind is and was in active rebellion against God. Ephesians 2 says this, You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. Mm-hmm. Like So it's it's an open, active rebellion, though we're calling it spiritual death. Right. right. And I think one thing that's really important to emphasize here, too, is also that Adam before the fall is actually capable of doing spiritual good. So it's when we say that people are born into sin and are born um, with a fallen nature, this is a result of the fall, not how it's Mm -hmm. always been. Yeah, that's right. That's in fact what the fall is, is Adam's loss of his ability to choose and embrace following the Lord. Absolutely. Obedience. Mm -hmm. He lost that capacity. Well, do you have any other thoughts here on total depravity? No, I think it's a great start for what we want to talk about. This, uh, if you don't have total depravity, uh, you don't have this particular doctrine, then you don't have a, the beginning point from which to understand every other uh, component 
of the doctrines of grace. Man is in, is in deep spiritual need and unable to save himself. Amen. Well, thank you so much for the time, Pastor Zellner. Yeah, thank you, Will. And we Appreciate thank you it. guys for um, listening. You can find this podcast on Spotify or, or every other place where you guys get podcasts, and you can follow us on Instagram to get updates when episodes will be available. So thank you. 